0: This is The Midweeks. Hello and welcome. This is Rob. Back with you. Hopefully a lot more often. I want to talk to you about a couple of things today. Uh, First, I want to talk to you about something from international news. And then I want to bring up the topic of hell, which I want to talk about very briefly, but uh, importantly, I hope, in a way that'll make you think, and make you think hard and well. So in international news, you may have heard about this. There was a case coming out of England where a social worker was um, court ordering an abortion. And as far as I understand from the reading I've done, there was a mother and her daughter, and the daughter has special needs of some kind, and the daughter with special needs had become pregnant. And I don't know how that happened, and it's not really material, but the social worker assigned to the case was getting a abortion forced upon this young woman with who was pregnant with a child. And as I understand from the reporting, the reasoning is that um, they thought it would be easier on the mother to emotionally deal with being, having an abortion forced on her than to deal with maybe having her child go into foster care if the family uh, wasn't able to deal with it. And so this is a very disturbing story um, that the government would be intervening to actually force someone to have an abortion, to force this death. You know, Usually this issue is meant to be a, an issue of choice. It's spoken of. Uh, but I want us to just think of this as a worldview issue. If you live in a worldview where there are people who cost too much to let live, um, eventually it can't just be a choice thing anymore. If the government is in the building, business, excuse me, of um, encouraging people to end the lives of, of people who are inconvenient, troublesome, or considered dangerous, then eventually this thing is, is going to become normalized. There isn't uh, breaks on this worldview that thinks that children sometimes are just not worth the cost of letting live. And so there, there's no breaks. You can't draw a line. And so to move from a government saying we will facilitate this when people want it to uh, we will facilitate this when people don't want it, this is not a big line. And I, and I think this is going to be an issue that, happens in the future is unless there's some kind of revival unless the pro-life forces become a lot more invigorated in many parts of the world um, this is going to become common where um, people with special needs or people on uh, welfare people whose lives are already quite influenced or controlled by the government um, have their pregnancies deleted because um, the children involved now aren't just something that the parents don't choose to have, but it's now something the government chooses not to have because it can't see any good coming from these children being born. Um, So this is a worldview issue. And if you look at the secular worldview, there isn't any reason, and I mean that reason, there isn't any logical reason to not do these kinds of things. If you're already in the position of um, being in control of Most aspects of people's lives, if you're already in the position of accepting the fact that there are some lives that just aren't worth birthing, than to order an abortion instead of just facilitate the ones that people request. This isn't a big leap, and there isn't a big reason not to do it. And so um, I'm glad for the outcry that has saved this baby's life. I'm glad glad for the international outcry that saved this baby's life, but um, this is the direction things are going, and there isn't any reason to believe that this won't become normalized in in 10 years, 15 years. Um, So something to pray about. And you know what? May the Lord do a surprising work. May the Lord do a surprising work in Canada. Uh, may the Lord do a surprising work in the United States. Um, people, people don't love abortion. It's, it's quite grotesque. And your average person wants it to stop. And then I think that will bear out in time if the Lord has mercy on us with grace. If not, if he decides that um, we deserve this kind of thing, then there's no... Uh, there's no bottom to this pit. We can keep falling. And so here's a sign that things continue to progress until they're stopped. All right. Well, that was not an encouraging story, but let's continue on with other things as well. Um, I want to talk about the doctrine of hell. And I mean that very specifically. The, the teaching of scripture, the teaching of the church about hell. And that we need to talk about it. Um, Let me tell you a little story. This is a true story from from local news. There was a girl walking, uh, going for a walk, I think walking her dog maybe, but going for a walk on a dirt road just south of here. And a man pulled up in a truck beside her and compelled her to get in the truck. And he drove her for a while. Uh, You can only imagine with the worst possible intentions. But they stopped at a stop sign and the girl got out of the truck and ran to a nearby house and so was spared being abducted. Now, this certainly is an uncomfortable story. It's an uncomfortable story. It's even more uncomfortable that it's history, that it actually happened. Uh, But imagine the homeowner has this frantic young woman come and pound on the door and ring the doorbell and opens the door and she starts to say, I was going for a walk and somebody grabbed me and threw me in the truck and I just escaped and she's afraid and terrorized please please call the cops let me in here rescue me now imagine the person in the house started thinking to themselves this person and this story I'm finding very uncomfortable right now this is not helping me relax this is not helping me be peaceful this isn't helping me feel uh, pleasant thoughts um this can't be true because of how I feel. I feel so unsettled by this and scary. Uh, This can't be true. And they just say to this young girl, look, I I don't know what's going on with you, but your story is stressing me out. And so you're just going to have to leave. I'm sorry, I'm closing the door here. Now, we would just condemn that person because we say, what's wrong with you? This this person needs to get rescued. Now, when it comes to talking about subjects like, uh, eternal punishment and that's what hell is typically meant a place of eternal punishment where people who have uh, sinned against god and rejected god and rejected his salvation and rejected faith and um and they they experience a final judgment and then go to an experience of that judgment which is uh, uh, suffering um This is unpleasant thought. It's an unpleasant story. It's a disturbing story. And the temptation for us is to say, I I don't like this disturbing story. And so I'm not going to believe it. I'm going to look for a different story that doesn't cause me so much distress. But uh, if we allow ourselves to be motivated in our thinking about what the Bible says about life after death or existence after death by a feeling like that, uh, we would be just like this homeowner, this hypothetical homeowner that would turn away somebody in danger because the story is uncomfortable. And we might even find ourselves in danger because we just decided that we didn't want to believe anything that made us feel so uncomfortable. Now, the reality is is that we are created, and we are created by a God who made the universe before we got here. And we enter into his reality And so whatever's true about existence after death is true, whether we like it or not, because we didn't make it. And so we need to resist any urge to want to tweak truth and tweak reality according to our own uh, measurement of pleasure or not, Um, because that's essentially just idolatry. We want to imagine a reality and a God that best fits our needs and our desires, and that's just death. It's spiritual death. Instead, we need to To come to God and find out what happens, which just underscores our need for revelation. Revelation means God having told us something, um, and specifically told us things that we can't know without His help. So we can't know who God is unless He reveals Himself. He's in a spirit. He's invisible. He um, exists everywhere but in the same time there's nowhere where you can go and force him to appear or to be there you know if you knocked on my door when i'm at home i'm there Uh, you know i'm in there you can like sneak in the window and find me i can't be everywhere i can't just not be found Uh, on both those ends so god's like that he's a spirit so in one sense he can be everywhere and is everywhere but in another sense you can't force him to reveal himself he needs to talk and about subjects like you know, what was going on before the world was made? Where's heaven? What's it like? Um, how do you get right with God? We need God to reveal himself, and especially what happens after you die. We need someone to tell us because we can't figure it out experientially. You know, we, we, you can't go and be dead for a year and wander around life after death and then come back, unless by the power of God. There's a f- few stories in Scripture where God brings people back from the dead, Interestingly, they usually don't talk a lot about what it was like. Um, But if we're going to know anything about existence after death, we need revelation. We need God to reveal to us what it's like. Otherwise, we can't know. We're just kind of going off instinct, which isn't good. We're going off of our imaginations, which isn't good. uh, Because typically what we end up doing is just making things up in order to feel in control, feel pleasure, or be in control of other people, which is just not good. We need God to speak and then to humbly submit ourselves to him and then respond with faith and love, which is the entire Christian life. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. Now, by God's grace, he's talked a lot about what happens about life after death and nobody talked about it more than Jesus who kept a promising eternal life to people who believed a life that starts as soon as you believe in Jesus you enter into eternal life and that eternal life lasts through physical death and then lasts through the final judgment and then endures forever in God's presence and he also talked about um, eternal punishment and an existence he called hell or Gehenna and it gets its name from the garbage dump outside of Jerusalem but it's not the garbage dump outside of Jerusalem. He's using it as a word picture. And so what I want to do is I want to take us to one place in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus talks about the enduring nature of, um, of hell, that it goes on after death. Because one of the ideas that I think has become somewhat popular, could be become more popular in thinking about final judgment, is this idea of annihilationism. It comes from the word annihilate. And what it means is that at the final judgment, so people die, and then Jesus returns, and at some points he raises everyone from the dead for a final judgment, and those who aren't saved, who haven't been forgiven by the grace of God through faith in Jesus, and become his people, um, those who persist in unbelief and are going to be punished justly for their sins, that punishment is either right away or eventually leads to them being annihilated going into non-existence so there's no ongoing experience of the punishment they go to an existence of non-experience or perhaps what it was like um, before they were born Um, if you can say what it's like because it'd be be nothing it'd be nothingness that's the idea that final judgment brings nothingness to unbelievers and you can see that this is would be a somewhat appealing idea for a Christian because on the one hand, you hold on to the idea of a judgment, that sin is punished, that God's righteousness is revealed, that his holiness is kept upheld. But at the same time, you're not dealing with the idea that people would be experiencing an ongoing suffering. That may never end or that doesn't end, um, which is an unpleasant thought. This is where we started. What do we do when we have when we feel unpleasantness because of a thought. And so the idea of an ongoing punishment is unpleasant. And so the idea of that punishment ending sometime so that people don't suffer anymore can be appealing. The question is, is it true? That's the question. Is it true? If you love somebody, you want them to know the truth? You want to speak the truth? All true love is based on truth. You can't lie to somebody in love. God never does that. And so what's the truth? And so I have one story from Jesus um, that for me indicates that Jesus thought that existence for sinners after death went on. that's that's the, how he was thinking about it here's this, here's one instance where i think this is how jesus thought about it this is from luke chapter 12 starting in verse 4 he says i tell you my friends do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do but i will warn you whom to fear fear him who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, for you are more value than many sparrows. So this is an interesting little passage because it goes like, fear, 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 don't fear. And you've got to ask, what's going on here? And essentially what Jesus is trying to teach people is, As Christians, we're constantly going to be tempted to be afraid of what people will do to us because speaking about Jesus and following Jesus is offensive to sinners. So we're constantly going to be afraid and tempted to experience fear of man, and Jesus is attacking that fear of man. And he says to them, Look, the worst anyone can do to you is kill you, and after that they can't touch you. So if someone decides to kill you for following me, they've actually blessed you because they've permanently put you out of the reach of human sin. Do not fear those who kill the body, and after that, there's nothing more they can do to you. So this is a mindset for Christians. You know what? People can hurt me. Uh, People are going to try to hurt me for Christ, and I need to be brave. And the reality is, is, the worst anyone can do to me is send me to the presence of Jesus and release me from being able to be touched by them anymore. And then the next idea that Jesus gives them, and this is the one that is really pertinent for me, This really applies. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. So he's talking about God, Uh, talking about himself, talking about the Father, talking about God. God has the authority to kill. So anytime God wants, God can bring someone's life to an end with a bus or an aneurysm or whatever. You know, people have this range of capability for hurting each other. Um, But God has. Capabilities of bringing someone's life to a close, too, Jesus says. But then after that, he has even more authority to cast into hell. And he says, Yeah, fear him. And he doesn't mean like be terrorized by him, but he means if there's anybody's opinion you're going to value, make sure it's God. If there's anybody that you're going to choose whom to please or displease, displease the people to please God. If there's anybody you're going to obey, Disobey the people while you're obeying God. If there's anybody whose um, influence and weight of control over your life you're going to honor, don't honor the human beings who have just a little bit of influence and control over your life. Honor God who has unlimited influence and control over your life. And especially goes to um, hell. Now, how does this connect with the endurance of it? Okay, this is this is how this connects. Jesus says, don't worry about people because they have a very small amount of time that they can make you suffer and then they can't make you suffer anymore. Then he says, be more concerned about God because he too can, has that small amount of authority where he can end your physical life now, but he also has an authority to um, bring suffering beyond that. If annihilationism is true, then this whole teaching falls apart. Jesus would have to say something like, have a little bit of fear for people who can kill you, but after that they can't do anything more to you. And also have a little bit of fear for God who can also kill you. But then, even if you're a bad sinner, he'll annihilate you and bring you to an existence where he can't touch you anymore or he can't influence anymore. He can't bring any suffering anymore. So have a little bit of fear for people and have a little bit of fear for God. That's how that teaches you and have to go. Because the whole point of annihilationism is that God will bring about even the worst sinners to a state where they don't experience God anymore, where they don't experience pain, they don't experience suffering. They go to nothingness, which is the point of the first line where Jesus says, "Don't worry about people because they can they have a limited amount of suffering, but then you're completely beyond their grasp." And if annihilationism is true, then and the reality is God can do just a little bit of bad stuff to sinners, but then he will bring them to a state where they are beyond his grasp. And this is kind of the hope of atheism. This is the hope of atheists that they can do whatever they want in this life, and then when they die, nothingness. They're annihilated. They go to oblivion. They can try to be good people, but they can also feel f- be free to be bad people. They can try to be nice and be humanitarians, They can also be Stalins who bring about starvations that kill tens of millions of people and throw a million of their enemies into the gulags to be tortured to death. And then when you die, nothingness, no suffering, no pain, no judgment, no fear of people, no fear of God, no anything. That's, That's the point of annihilationism. And so it undoes this whole saying of Jesus, where Jesus says, actually, you need to live in the fear of God because... You never get away from God. Nobody ever gets away from God. That's the point of this. If you're going to evaluate how to spend your life, do it with the view to the being who you will never escape, whether for good or for punishment. And then Jesus goes on to say, hey, you guys are so important to God. So don't live in terror. Don't live in like, oh, what am I going to do? God, you're so valuable to God that you're more important than all the birds. You're more important than than the sparrows. God numbers all your heads, um, so trust him. Don't fear him. You're more valuable than sparrows. God loves you. He, ta- he wants to take care of you. He wants to provide for you. He, he, he knows how many cells are in your body. He knows how many molecules are in your body. He, he's a good father. He's a good God. But don't let the kindness of God... Say, well, it doesn't really matter if I live in the fear of men and obey them. He said, No, this is your your good father is the God who rules over eternal destinies and over hell. So don't don't despise him. Instead, tremble and obey, and love. So there's my two cents on it. I think it's really important for us to hold on to this doctrine. Once you've kind of eliminated any uh, idea that there could be anything bad beyond death. Even if there's just a little bit of bad, but then you go into oblivion. That does give people permission to be as evil as they want to in this life. And then they can just escape, which is a terrible thought. But the reality is we just want to believe what's true. All the reasoning aside, we just want to believe what's true. So let's be men. Let's be godly men, godly women. Let's be brave. And then let's care about people's eternal souls. Amen. The Lord bless you. Give you a great week. Hopefully I'll... Be back on the midweeks with you in not too long.